0: Hey everybody, it's Kim, the host of Multiracial White Boy. How you doing? Today's guest is Tanya Verifield. Tanya is an actress. She was in Harsh Times with Christian Bale. She was also in the award-winning short film Short Term 12. It went on to be a feature film. It's one of my favorite films with Brie Larson. I love it. Tanya is also Mexican and she's Jewish. She was raised in LA in Echo Park. And her story is truly one of the unique stories I've heard on this podcast that I've been doing. and I think it's because there are so many twists and turns. And, you know, I met Tanya a long time ago at an acting class. I kind of thought I had an idea who she was. Not at all. She is so genuine, really intelligent. She's an activist out there. This is Tanya Verifield. Your dad was Mexican, and your your mom was Jewish? Yes,
1: that's right. My dad is from Mexico City, um, where he actually is right now, (laughs) which is a much longer story. Thanks for pandemic traveling, Dad. Um, And, yeah, he came to the U.S. when he was 19, and at the time my Jewish mom was teaching uh, English as a second language, and that's how they met.
0: It sounds like it should be the opposite because your dad went to law school and then your mom was teaching ESL. She's Jewish.
1: (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Nope. They are very, uh, they are very opposite, I guess. Um, Are they,
0: are they still together?
1: Oh gosh, no. They got divorced when I was two years old.
0: So did you grow up with your mom or your dad or did you split back and forth?
1: I was mostly with my mom because my dad was in law school. And so he was um, really, really busy. And so I saw him, I think, once a week or so um, for a long time. And then when I was about, I want to say like, um, probably like seven or something, I started going more evenly between the two houses, because um, then my dad, you know, settled in a place to live that was much closer. For When I was super, when I was like a baby, he was living all the way in like Downey or something, so I would only see him once a week, and then he moved to Echo Park, and my mom was in Echo Park, so they were nearby.
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, like what, because you grew up in LA in Echo Park, which is considered pretty diverse, um, because you're a person of mixed descent, was it easier to grow up with more diversity? as opposed to most people I've talked to who grew up with white communities?
1: That's such a good question. Um, You know, I think I was so young that, first of all, our neighborhood was mostly Hispanic. So I was growing up and I was like, everybody looks like my dad, like, this is great. And then we had like one pair of neighbors who were white. And then our closest neighbors were Asian, Asian, And I don't think it even registered for me that I, I didn't know what I was at that age. So I just thought everybody looked like my dad. I didn't know what I looked like, right? Like as kids, we don't like look in the mirror a lot and like figure out what are we? What do we look like? But I think looking back and having moved to other places since then, I can see how actually that was a really great place to grow up as a mixed kid and to feel like Spanish was being spoken everywhere I went. Um, but I also know that I went to bed listening to gunshots and asking my dad, like, what's that noise, you know? So I think, um, I think it also gave me like a sense of stereotype for my own community where I was like, oh, it's the gangbangers again, you know, like, that's what I grew up with. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yep. They're gangbangers in the neighborhood. You know, that's, um. That's just what happens. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. But no, it was, but it, uh, it
0: makes sense because you grew up, like I grew up with the same thing. And it wasn't until either I moved outside of my community or there were certain moments that informed me, oh, I'm I'm either I'm adopted or I'm not. And you kind of know it all. I, at least for me, I knew it all along that I wasn't white like my family, but I was given this honorary right. status because of it. But like for you, what moments, I guess earlier in your life, kind of informed you, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm both Jewish and Mexican. And which one did you attach yourself to?
1: That's a great question. I think that I knew I was Jewish because I went to a Jewish Sunday school. So my parents enrolled me in a secular humanistic Sunday school. So it was not religious at all. And it was all about being culturally Jewish and understanding our history, our heritage, our traditions, our beliefs. Um, and it was a very liberal progressive community and so um, that was sort of where I founded this idea that I was Jewish and I understood that I was fully Jewish because people would ask you know right away well are you whole Jewish and of course because it comes through the mother's lineage I'm whole Jewish full Jewish and then as far as being Mexican I think that came out of a a lot of travel. So um, as a child, every summer, we went to Mexico and visited my family. And so my understanding of being Mexican was that, you know, my dad would take me and introduce me to all these people. They were all my cousins. I was related to everybody we met. And even though I struggled with the language barrier because I had not, we had not really spoken Spanish in in my home, Um, especially because my parents were divorced, so they were only talking to me. (laughs) So it was not like they were talking amongst themselves or anything, you know, and and I was raised learning English. So um, there was a language barrier, but my family in Mexico was always so welcoming and happy to see me and constantly like calling me, like if there was a little kid or, you know, Tanya, and whatever, so that's where my understanding of both my cultures came from. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's from that.
0: So you got integrated to both. So which one did you identify with most or which one did you identify with most and tell people you were to protect yourself, I guess, (laughs) because that's what we do because we want to feel a sense of belonging. So what was it for you and what, which one did you really identify with though?
1: That's such a good question. So I think I was really, my, my parents, I give them credit. They did an outstanding job of raising a mixed child with no experience i was their first kid um and they really bestowed upon me i should value both parts of me and all of my heritage and how unique it was um and i mean to the extreme that like i had the traditional you know i had a bat mitzvah at 13 which was non-traditional because of the community we attended And so I didn't read from the Torah. I didn't have to learn Hebrew. I wrote a speech about playwright Lillian Hellman and told it from the first person because I was like, I'm an actress and I will do this for my bat mitzvah. Um, And then we flew to Mexico and had a quinceañera And I did all the traditional dancing and I had chambelanes who are like escorts and they do the dances with you. And my cousin was a professional dancer. So she choreographed all my dances and we had this huge party and we did the the whole nine yards. And so I honestly think when I was younger and more naive, I was able to really grasp onto all of who I was and really value both. And it wasn't until I got... I mean I wasn't that old but e- even as a kid I heard definitely like some Rachel slurs um and and even anti-semitic things and so Wow
0: you're hearing hearing knew, it from both sides that's that's crazy
1: Yeah it was it was I it's funny because I had this conversation with my mom recently with everything that's going on and she was like I don't remember you coming home and telling me. And I'm like, oh, I remember coming home and telling you. Did you really come home and
0: talk to your parents about that? I I had this discussion the other day, and we were talking about how we didn't tell our parents because we didn't know what racism really was, and we didn't really know the impact of it.
1: It's interesting because I did initially, you're right, now that I remember back. So first of all, I heard an anti-Semitic... Uh, comment in second grade when I expressed that I was Jewish. And I do remember going home and asking my mom that one because it was something I had never heard before. And so it just didn't correlate to mean anything in my mind. So I had to go home and ask like, you know, mom, a boy today told me, I told him I was Jewish and he asked me where my horns were. What does that mean? And my mom told me she didn't remember that. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I think you're right with the racist comments or more like interactions that I witnessed with my dad looks very, uh, dark skinned and has you know, when I was growing up, he had long black hair, like really thick, you know, um, he just, he looks, he looks like where we come from, right? Like he looks like the Mexica people, which is like the, the indigenous people to Mexico. And definitely when I would see these incidents in front of me with my dad i didn't have anyone to talk to because i saw how upset my dad got and d- it didn't really seem like i wanted to ask him you know what did that mean and i don't remember ever asking my mom um but i definitely took those in and i know that's why even today like i couldn't tear up right now because i'm so sensitive to watching my dad live his life, those things happen very mildly, like very mildly. It's more like you're not Mexican enough or, oh, you're Mexican or, you know, what are you? Or, um, you don't look Mexican, you know, all the things. But for my dad, like, it's still really egregious, even more so now, of course, in the last, you know, three and a half years. So, um, yeah, so I, I don't know that I ever had a place to go ask those questions. I think I just learned
0: to watch it. But I think what's not discussed enough is that we feel shamed. And do we? it's like when you feel shame, you feel abu- a sense of abuse. And anyone who feels a sense of abuse, whether it's physical, whether it's verbal, they don't really want to discuss it because they don't want to feel like a victim. They don't want to feel... They're basically going to bury it because you don't know why people are doing it. It doesn't make any, it's so absurd and doesn't make any sense. So I want to go to, you talked about how you dropped out of Berkeley after 9-11 and started acting. I met you actually in acting class with Marilyn, Marilyn Mm -hmm. Carney. And back then when I did act, like I was considered by both agents and casting directors a wild card. You know, you're the wild card, which means we could go with, we could see you as this and we could see you as that, or we could just take a chance on you. Have they suggested that that you're that too? Or do you, cause you, you passed as though you have played roles like where you're Hispanic.
1: Yeah. I, the first big advice I got, so I won this um, competition that no longer exists and there were all these prizes. Um, a lot of them were meetings. And so, uh, That was sort of me very, at the very beginning of my career. And so I I won this meeting with a huge casting director and I sat down across from her and I don't think I had worked my first, no, maybe I had. So my my first professional role was playing a gang member's girlfriend, um, a chola in harsh times, yeah. um, with that's Christian That's I saw Bale.
0: You on, e- on IMDb, right.
1: Yeah. And I think I had already done that. And this casting director's advice to me, uh, was, so you're going to have to, you're, you're Latina. And so you're going to have to play stereotypical Latina roles. And that's how you're going to get your foot in the door. And then you'll be able to do other stuff and i remember being really upset by that like really upset especially because i am mixed and i was like why are you and then but i understood i was like okay i get it it's based on looks i this is how i look you know even though after that i would go in rooms and they'd be like you don't look latina enough and it took a long time to break out of that in any way and i think that's why I, I think that's why, actually, I prefer theater and independent film, because those are the two places where people are willing to not put me in a box that well. So, like, you're just out of luck completely. <laughs> like, that's kind of what I'm used to, you know, hearing.
0: So. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, in regards to stereotypes with representation, it happens, you know, to buy box and a lot of actors will take the job despite representing the typical stereotypes, because there are so few opportunities for them.
1: If anything, I felt a responsibility to like the Latino community or Latinx, we would say now, but like back then I was like my Latino community. And I felt a sense of, of responsibility to them. I did not want them to feel like I was like, this is how I play this stereotype. And I, I remember preparing for that, um, for the harsh times role. My dad's office is in East LA and I go visit him all the time for lunch and whatever. And I spent a week there just walking around the neighborhood, going into shops and restaurants and listening to how they talked and looking at how they dressed because the movie takes place in East LA. So I was just doing research and making sure that I was going to do like a good job as in a respectful job. I remember specific job, like the woman who played my sister, fantastic actress whom I love. And she was so encouraging, you know, like the accent, the dialect that I put on is how she speaks. And she was like, you're doing a great job. Like we got this, you know. And I remember after another actor who is still a, a working actor, I see him in things all the time, uh, told me what a terrible job I had done and that he knew all along that I wasn't that. And that was really hurtful for, you know, but what he didn't know, cause he told me that, you know, on set basically, which is not good to tell someone on their first professional job. Like I definitely advise not putting in your two cents, but unlike him, I remember after the shoot, um, both the director who had not recognized me when I arrived at set because I didn't look or talk like the role I had gotten and Christian Bale both complimented me on my work and said, the director told me, you impressed Christian and you impressed me. And, you know, that was a, um, a win for my acting, but also made me feel like I had done my job in representing who I was there to represent because the director wrote that, screenplay based on his own experiences and that we actually filmed at his aunt's house kind of like in east la area so i was like okay i did my job even if that one guy like put me down or whatever um but yeah even the stereotypical roles i think you know it's like there are stereotypes but there are also real people who work those jobs that are you know latina so like i i carry that weight proudly um, it's just a, a matter of also being seen for who I am whole, which is, you know, I haven't seen a Mexican Jewish role yet. I don't know about you, Kim. I, I haven't <laughs>
0: seen that one. Not a whole lot out there. Um, but I think you brought up something that's super interesting that you going out there as a mixed person and even as a person of fucking color you do have an enormous pressure of how you represent yourself because you're put on a pedestal. And when that pedestal didn't, you know, live up to the standard of that one individual, he had to say something as you know, and that just seems it's, that comment is so much more than just you not being a good actor. It's insulting on so many different layers and levels. Yeah,
1: it's so true. And I think that what you said about being put on a pedestal I think it's also for me it's not even just in our careers but it's in life like because we are people of color we are set to us like a higher standard we somehow have to disprove all the stereotypes that are out there and if we don't do that then we are adding to the you know system, the systemic racism that's already deeply integrated everywhere. And so there's this additional pressure that when I mess up, like, oh, great. Like, for instance, I dropped out of college. Great. I added to the number of Latinx students who drop out of college. Now, did I do that for that reason? Of course not. Do I want, sometimes I want to go back just so that can say like first generation on his side graduated from college but that's just not in the cards for what I want to do with my life it doesn't I don't need a college degree to act but those are the things that make me go like oh that's that's more pressure on me I should do that because of what that creates in when people go see like Latinx people, they're lazy and they drop out. And I'm like, well, I did drop out. I'm not lazy, but I did drop out, you know. Um, I think it's similar to what we're seeing now, you know, when, when every time a Black person is murdered by the police, we see their rap sheet come up. Like the one thing they did, you know, 13 years ago, that is irrelevant to the fact that they were murdered in cold blood, and, you know, and then we see like, and the cop did this one nice thing where he brought donuts on this day. Like, are you kidding me? That's so that's what we're looking at now. That pressure you talk about. I mean, that is very real. And I think I live with that pressure a lot. Every time I set foot out my front door, I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'm representing. I've got to represent everything. You know? you know,
0: I feel awful that you feel that way because Angel Parker talked about that of, she's always working her ass off to, to remove herself from all the negative stereotypes that come with black people and her kids and her family. And that just seems like an insane amount of pressure. I want to move to fair representation because you did uh, Short Term 12, the Sundance short film. It's I love the feature film. It's probably one of my favorite films ever. It yeah. is. I fucking love it. It's so good. And I think I like it so much because there's so much real. There, the diversity in that film is not made a spectacle of. It's not stereotyped, and it's there's something authentic and genuine there. And tell me, what was? Is it better when you see that representation on a set, and you're like, "Oh, this is more like real life"? Because sometimes you feel like a token of it. It just seems like it's better when people have a better understanding of how things really are. And then you come to it on set and then you could start playing things truthfully.
1: I think that's such a good point. I've never uh, thought about it in those exact terms, but I think if I were to look back sort of at my little Rolodex of projects, when I feel the most comfortable, I'm on a set like the one you just described, where it's a reflection of the reality that I live in and grew up in and there's something that is innately easy as in puts me at ease and allows me to do my job which is to play <laughs> which of course. is yeah, we're acting. yeah yeah and i think that even more exciting and i loved working on the short of short-term 12. that short changed the trajectory of my career, as well as solidified for me what exactly I wanted to do. And of course, I got to work with the lovely and so talented Dustin Daniel Cretton. And, you know, but we were making a short about foster care. So the idea that we could have done it without diversity is less, less likely in my mind. I, I don't know a lot of you know, foster homes that are, like, mostly white kids, Uh, and maybe I just haven't been to them. I consider myself constantly ed so maybe I just don't know. But um, I think, you know, going forward, it's nice to now show up on sets where there's that kind of diversity, and that's not the subject matter. We're not, you know in the foster care system, or we're not specifically in East LA. So we're going to have this particular mix of people, but we're somewhere else, you know, and there's a diverse cast around us. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I see that that's what people are moving towards. And to me, that's really exciting because, or, or for instance, like um, any Shonda Rhyme show, that's, you know, a perfect example of seeing diversity in a place where you're not like, well, it's because this is a low income hospital or like, <laughs> you know, this this firefighting community is, you know, no, it's just diverse because that's the reality.
0: Okay, I want to finish this and you're going to please finish the sentence. Um, I feel optimistic about Black, Indigenous and people of color because...
1: Because for the first time in my lifetime for sure, it seems to me that more people than ever are becoming invigorated and energized to change the destructive system we've had in place for so long. And I think that the silver lining to this tragic pandemic is that people have time not everyone a lot of people are really struggling to still get unemployment or make ends meet or figure out how to not get evicted but a lot of people who have the means have more time and they they are devoting themselves to the various causes uh right now as we face this unprecedented election and And I think are really coming together to try to actually make some change. And I know it will be probably many years before we can look back and see whether this was actually a shift, but I'm very hopeful for it. And I'm doing everything that I can think of to make that a reality.
0: That was Tanya Verifield. Tanya, thank you so much for sharing your story on this podcast with me. Just a fantastic conversation. Okay, everybody. Once again, I'm the host of Multiracial White Boy. I'm Kim. Please follow us at our Instagram page at Multiracial White Boy. I'm always posting sound bites, clips from the podcast, and I can't tell you how thankful I am for all these private direct messages I get on Instagram, people telling me they're really digging what we're doing here, what they're listening to, so... Thank you. And again, please share and subscribe. I will see you next week.